Well, hello there, uh, Nick Langan on V891 The Roar. And, uh, you know, we've done a few interviews, but this particular one really excites me. I have a, a genuine affinity for smooth jazz, and we have a very accomplished smooth jazz saxophonist uh, in the studio with us today. His name is Andrew New. He's uh, toured the world with Bobby Caldwell, Diane Shore, Norman Brown, Smokey Robinson. He's played with the Philly Pop. He's uh, been an arranger with the Brian Pastor Big Band, the Dave Stahl Band. We'll talk about his uh, Big Band Jazz CD, Catwalk, that uh, he released back in 2018. He's also released four contemporary jazz albums. And uh, if that's not all, he uh, conducts the jazz ensemble at Swarthmore College. And uh, he also uh, conducts the jazz program at Lower Marion High. So it's just, it's so awesome to have him with us uh, to talk about what's going on in his life right now. Andrew New, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I mean it. Um, Have you, did you grow up here in the Philadelphia area in this community? Has this been sort of your roots? It has been, yeah. I grew up uh, just outside in in, uh, Hapro, out in the suburbs, but I live in Philadelphia right now. Both my parents grew up in in Philadelphia, so I definitely have strong Philadelphia roots. I'm proud of that. I think it's part of what I do. It's part of the reason of what I do, and it's inspired me just as a musician and as a person and as as an educator, as a creative person. It's just an amazingly uh, fertile cultural place to grow up. I feel like uh, we were just talking with some classical guitarists that are be performing uh, at Villanova next week, and they described the sort of the music scene as as underrated here. Like you, people might think of New York, people might think of L.A., but there there's just a lot to offer, a lot to connect with. Has that been what you've found? Uh, um, I hate to use the un- the word underrated. It, it just it makes it seem like you know that it's less significant. Yeah, than, you know. I mean, but but certainly, I think the the creative aspect of, of the the artists that you find here in Philadelphia are on par with you, what you would find in any other uh, cultural uh, community: New York City, Los Angeles, London, Paris. I mean, anywhere in the world, I think uh, Philadelphia holds its own uh, and, and beyond. There's just something very real about the musicians and the artists in general. General across all the genres, I think here. I agree with that. I think you can, you know, you can look to contemporary jazz for that too, and and I think in other genres as well. Um, going back down memory lane a little bit, um, sort of what drew you in the direction of music, and maybe eventually saxophone playing. Um, did you start with other instruments? Um, how did this sort of seed get planted for Andrew New? Wow, we're going way back. You, you want to go that deep <laughs> down did, the rabbit hole? You know, this is this is all about you. Let, let's hear it. Let's oh, hear well, it. I can talk about me for you know how much time we got. Um, well, I'm very fortunate to have grown up uh, as the the younger sibling of of, of a, a, an older brother and a sister who are both in music. And uh, my my parents, although not professional musicians, were very much supportive of music, and we were always going to concerts. And um, my father is an amateur musician he plays viola and trombone now my big brother he's seven years older than me he actually is a a trumpet player and also an educator and in fact, he actually does the jazz program right here, here at, at Villanova. Villanova. That's uh, we have to cover I'm that sure as we were, well. That is, <laughs> I'm sure we we're going to circle back to that. And and he's being seven years older. He was actually out like playing professionally, doing gigs and stuff when I was essentially a little kid. So, I mean, that was really inspiring to me. In fact, I really wanted to play trumpet, but my parents said, well, you know, 
Peter's already playing trumpet. Mm, you need to play something different. Taken. I want to play the drums. Well, no, you can't play the drums. The drums are, are they're too loud. We can't have drums in the house. <laughs> All right, well, how about the saxophone? And they said, oh, no, no, you can't play saxophone. <laughs> Also too loud. I'm not sure where all this is going, but I, I ended up on, pl- on starting on clarinet. Um, and I still play clarinet. And uh, it actually proved to be a really great foundation. I could see that. When I decided to start uh, also playing saxophone, as I said, I still play clarinet, but um, I really wanted to play in the in the jazz program at my my school. And I'm a product of a public school music education program. I'm very much I'm an advocate for that. So important, so important. And they do amazing things. And we're we're very lucky in this community, uh, the Philadelphia area, that there are jazz programs and music programs that are unbelievable uh i mean just uh, the things and especially the things that they're doing now compared to what i was doing in high school is just outstanding 100 percent. um it just blows my mind and of course they have incredible resources and access to i mean not just the things online of course but just being here in philadelphia there's so many opportunities that they can go and perform hear music connect with other musicians so i learned saxophone and uh, eventually started playing flute now my older sister is also a flute player too oh, how about so, that how about that um, it, it really so, runs in the family it's definitely something that we were able to, you know, stay connected with my siblings in that respect, too. I mean, we always have family connections, but, you know, when you can start talking, you know, we start nerding out on, like, I'll talk to my brother, hey, where are you working this weekend? And, you know, my sister, actually, she has my, my piccolo right now because she has better use for it now than I do. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's just kind of neat that we can... What a know. shared bond, a yeah. shared connection, just that, that the three of you can can sort of partake in. That's, uh, that, that's awesome. That's so... Rhodes eventually led to the saxophone. Now, what may I ask, you know, if we rewind, you know, maybe into the 90s, did something, you know, you're in jazz band, did something specifically to contemporary jazz at some point catch your ear? Was it an artist? Was it was it a particular, um, you know, song back then? Talk about your roots as it relates to smooth jazz. Um, well, I mean, definitely that was, you know, growing up at at that time you weren't necessarily surrounded by people that were as hip as say you know the students are now i mean so but there were some contemporary artists that i absolutely gravitated to just because i was exposed to them and it it made sense to me at the time um probably number one was grover washington jr absolutely talk about the philadelphia connection there right there right there um spira gyra uh chuck mangione maynard ferguson which i think crossed a lot of genres uh at the time you know he was always doing you know certainly big band jazz but at the same time he was doing a lot with with uh, uh, jazz rock I guess they would call that genre back then um, David Sanborn um, Tom Scott I mean these are just Excellent. certainly some of the, the the guys that were doing this before our, our kind of current crop of, of you know the amazing living legends that we have right now I mean those guys are obviously still around sure, sure. Uh, most of them anyway and some still making music yeah. I mean David Sanborn you know does like the, the, the live streams and so, those, you know, I could see where they would be, you know, very influential um, and were there, you know, so even, you know, particular vocalists, like maybe like an Al Jarreau, um, did they also have an impact for you or was it mainly instrumentalists, would you say? Uh, definitely vocalists, just because so often they were paired with amazing instrumentalists. Mm. Um, uh, and Al Jarreau is a great example because he's, he, I think, really is a smooth jazz vocalist because so often i think it gets that the lines get really Crossover. blurred and yeah. it's like 
people who are maybe more R&B get they get kind of shuffled over to smooth jazz sure. but they're not really jazz artists and people who are jazz jazz artists don't necessarily fit there either but oh. someone like Al Jarreau and I mean we got to talk about Bobby Caldwell too absolutely absolutely how you know that connection for you and and I don't think there is you know obviously what you won't do for love um, at the time may have not been thought of as a jazz hit because I think it was a number one R&B hit um, but just his voice his style some of the songs that he released in the 90s to 2000s you know if you want to talk about you know yeah that term format vocalist sometimes it's hard for smooth jazz to find he's like quintessential um and the fact you were able to connect with him later on um is is phenomenal well there were no rules back then when those guys were making music they weren't trying to make a pop record or an army record or a jazz record it was just like let's just you know make the music Quality that makes sense music. to us and it's you know, you talk, you use the word format, and and so many of us have gotten. I I, I hate to. So many artists are kind of getting stuck into that block of like, okay, what are we, what are we expected to do? What are we supposed to do? And you know, I think when I was coming at GRP Records, if you remember Absolutely. that record label, Dave that Grusin, was yeah. yeah. I mean, Dave Grusin, you know, Larry Rosen was the the G and the R of GRP, and they had so many amazing artists on that label that were completely unique and they were an artist because they did something that no one else did uh diane shore for one artura sandoval all the big supergroups, spyro gyro the rippingtons the electric band the brecker brothers uh the yellow jackets yeah. they were all on grp like, and they were all doing their who? own thing you had world music influence in there um you had more traditional artists you had uh artists that were young and upcoming but were clearly inspired and were creating something that was fresh that was worth noting it wasn't just the old guard you know it was they were really uh, just every every month putting out uh, I don't know probably a dozen records and they were completely different and you know I, I I'm probably biased because you know that that's that's when I grew up that that's the you know that's what got me into all this music but I feel like that was you know that era probably produced the best you know the the the, the, the you know that that stands the test of time like a lee written hour you know you mentioned spyro gyra um just some of the names on that record label larry carlton another one some of those just foundational so you know from someone like you absorbing that you know i could see where that would you know sort of lead you and that sort of takes me to i think the year was 1999 um at morning star studios in East Norriton, that's within WXVU's uh, you know coverage area. Um, you, you record your first album. What like particularly back then? Because it, it like right now, like I've had you know I've had some people tell me like it's not that hard to make a smooth jazz record, you know, with digital tools and 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 so like what went into assembling you know the area talent that you had on that record and you know probably the, the, the um, i assume a lot of this had to be done on your own too take me what led to that moment well that, and that's an amazing a really really good question and i think and i see this with a lot of artists that are independent artists that make that first record um i made that record because i found myself writing i was composing tunes and it was really i was looking for an outlet to showcase the writing that i was doing mm. um it wasn't so much i mean you know i was i enjoyed playing saxophone and i thought i was pretty good at it at the time i think i'm a lot better now i've been practicing but i was really um excited about this music that i was writing and i really wanted to, to document it and i just reached out to the 
to the the best musicians that I knew at Absolutely. the time because at that time, you know, 1999, yeah, the, the internet was around, but it wasn't like you Very. just go on Facebook and reach out to, you know, George Duke and say, hey man, can you help me out with my record? The social media aspect was not a thing yet. It, it yeah. absolutely shrunk the, the world in a positive way that we were able to be all much more connected. Um, but back then it was the Wild West. I didn't know about radio promotion. I didn't know about format. I didn't know about that perfect tempo that radio likes, so that the length of the song. Mm -hmm. But I went to the studio where Grover Washington recorded, where Pieces of a Dream recorded, and they understood at least stylistically where I was coming from. And they were, were super helpful in, in guiding me at a time that I was really just trying to make and I really and genuinely trying to make an artistic statement. I was never knew if I was going to do another record. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to do everything but the kitchen sink on this record. So it, I, I think I'm really proud of a lot of aspects of it, um, especially the writing, because that was really the goal at the time. That's awesome. That's And I think that, you know, I'm sure it, it told you so much about yourself, being able to put that together. Uh, we're talking with saxophonist Andrew New here on V891 The Roar about his career, um, about about what he has accomplished and what he plans to accomplish as a, a smooth jazz artist and beyond. Um, so that's your first album. And making connections with known artists. I bring that up. Obviously, you mentioned Bobby Caldwell. Would you say it was Brian Bromberg? How did you sort of hatch that connection? And that sort of takes you to 2007, your next album in Clearview. Um, how did the Brian Bromberg connection come about? And just the process, you know, you have this album, you're establishing yourself, how to get networked with other smooth jazz artists. How did that sort of come about for you? Well, I think, yeah, just, I mean, connecting with Brian was, was huge and I still have a great relationship with him. Now I've worked on his last several records. In fact, he just, we just were talking a couple of days ago about working on his next record. Oh, that's so, wonderful. Um, he's an incredibly gifted uh, musician, um, bass player upright and electric uh he started touring with stan getz when he was 18 years old so wow. he's got real jazz background That's credentials there. as genuine as it gets so i met him through uh, a mutual friend i had a a, a a, a, a female friend, not a girlfriend, but a, a friend who was sure, a girl, sure. you know, who uh, I, I knew from college who had moved to Los Angeles and she was a, a vocalist and was also just really into connecting with other musicians. And she said, hey, Andrew, you know this guy, Brian Bromberg? And literally I had his uh, Jocko record in my CD player. I remember at the that. Time. Remember that. I mean, it was like very serendipitous because it was not... It, planned at all but literally his his cd was in was my car at that time and i said yeah of course i know that was him. still a thing yep, yeah yeah um, yeah well <laughs> because I, the, I know tell me about it <laughs> cds yeah streams downloads yeah i'm not sure how i feel about it sometimes but you know. well yeah that's yeah. a whole other uh, yeah we can talk about that but um so uh, it was just sort of like, yeah, let's let's have a conversation. So she connected us and we, we hit it off musically. And um, he's actually worked on most of my projects, including my big band record. Um, so just because I trust him, he's got amazing ears. Everything he's done, if you listen to it, it's always the best musicians. It always sonically sounds the best. He's got an amazing producer uh, or um, engineer, uh, Tom McCauley, who makes my records sound like they have a budget that's 10 times the budget that I have. Ah, that's a wonderful that 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 you know that is a great compliment um and is that you know because i'm also wondering incidentally um did that sort of 
create your insistence on using like real live instruments throughout your albums was that something that you've always considered was it maybe through brian that that sort of came about as far as your your albums technique uh, um no actually uh i mean brian was certainly inspiring because you know he was all about cr uh, creating music with other great musicians but i guess a lot of uh, smooth jazz artists in particular are they're kind of studio rats you know they create music by you know sitting in a studio like what we're in right now surrounded by keyboards and they do loops and they do sounds and they do sonic landscapes and soundscapes and they they kind of create the vibe there yep yep and i think maybe from my background as a saxophone player and also someone that that just I, I always reveled in playing in bands big bands especially but you know being surrounded by musicians it was when i was writing music it was always like okay i'm gonna write this music and then i'm gonna play it with other people and that's just always that's my thought process sort of the the narrowing it down to its essential element that's that's music right that i mean seem that strange <laughs> no, you know that's like the kind you know that's what i think the average person would still think happens um but you're yeah. exactly right i think probably the pandemic you know expedited this even more with you know we got let's find ways to you know record you know new york and dc and and you know different tracks and and make, meld them all but it had been going on long before um a lot of artists i think resort to that and that's okay but i feel like you can tell the difference it's I, it's changed things uh i mean it, it I, I will say I, I embraced that uh, over the last couple of years just because it opened up a lot of doors and it, it made my my technological skill set a lot more expanded it you <laughs> had to Absolutely. yeah it was like adapter be left in the dust yeah so, yeah. That's... so uh, I mean there's there's oh I guess it's, it, it's it seems backwards to look for a silver lining over the last two years but there are I, some yeah it, it, it there obviously there's a whole lot of bad but you know I feel like maybe and and maybe you feel this way um you know zooms remote sessions whatever you want to call them um maybe allowed forging some connections that wouldn't have been if it had to be all in person yeah. and, and it made a lot of these musicians who were just kind of tr not trudging through but you know they were just they were out there they put out a record they go out on the road they do gigs all of a sudden they were super inspired they had time on their hands yeah, and yeah. all of a sudden it's like people were looking at things a little differently and uh i think there was actually a lot of really creative things happening over the last couple years I agree um, with you. and you know people spent more time with their families they spent more time thinking about maybe the important things that's i think it was a reset i think if you take it that way and obviously you know that's that's an individual thing um it it did it, it did allow and i can speak from experience now with like you know commute times back to what they were and maybe them then some um there were some silver linings so um we're talking with saxophonist andrew new he's in studio here at villanova's v89 one the roar one of the smooth jazz artists that we're so happy to feature he is from the area he's active uh, in the music community um, as far as both at lower marion high conducting the jazz program um, also conducting the jazz ensemble at swarthmore college um, and we're just so happy to have him with us um, sort of pivoting throughout your career andrew um, so 2009 your third album try something new do you feel like well you know it's probably like picking you know one of your children or something but is there is there of your albums is that where you feel like that launched you um or maybe the one after 2013 everything happens for a reason 
reflect on those two albums in, in particular for you? Uh, well, I think they definitely showcase the evolution of, of who I am uh, as an artist and as a musician, as a saxophone player, and as a composer. Um, I think I can try something new. And that was the, the, the first record I did on a record label. It was on New Groove Records. And um, that was the first time I had Bobby Caldwell join me in a recording. Um, and I started to definitely experiment more with just integrating uh, more straight ahead jazz elements into my writing too, um, which I was always sort of thinking, I was kind of compartmentalizing smooth jazz with straight ahead jazz and big band. It was just, I kind of looked at them as all as really separate parts of, of my personality and I wasn't integrating them as much as I think I could have. And sure. I think that process you start to hear more and more over these next two records. And there's a tune called uh, No Hang Tonight, which is one of my favorite tunes. I keep coming back to it in my live show just because it was we, we utilized a more second line groove on it. Um, and it had upright bass on it from Brian Bromberg. And it just felt like it, a jazz tune, you know, and we put it on a smooth jazz record. But I feel like it, it, it worked. Fit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I think that was really enlightening to me because it made me realize that there can be uh, uh, all these different styles of music can really inform the other. And I think it helped to define me as an artist, as someone that's not exclusively a smooth jazz artist or a jazz artist or a big band artist. But I felt like all these are, are present at any one time, even though I might be leaning in one direction at one point. I feel like that's present also now again four years later, but on Everything Happens for a Reason, in particular, um, the big band elements on your version of the Brubeck classic, Take Five. I feel like the way you present that, um, you know, in a in a contemporary manner, but you could sort of hear that influence. Um, was that becoming even more apparent for you um, with the release of that album. I'm really proud of that record. I think my last two records, Everything Happens for a Reason and Catwalk, two very different records, but I think they both are really representative of, of a lot of who I am as an artist. I think they showcase the kind of all the different sides. Uh, and Take Five was a tune that we've been doing on our live show for years. And it was People just like- People hear it, they, yeah. you know, it stands to, yeah. 1959, yeah, like, it still is immediately recognized. Oh, I know. I mean, you know, and I and I grew up, again, I mean, we, we talked talked about the contemporary jazz artists that I listened to growing up, but but certainly uh, Paul Desmond, Dave Brubeck, uh, um, Dexter Gordon, Cannonball Adderley. Um, you know, these are the cats, the first guys Legends. that I started listening to, yeah. and then eventually Sonny Rollins and John Coltrane, uh, Miles Dizzy, Freddie Hubbard. I mean, all the great trumpet players, because I just love trumpet, too. And if you look at my records, there's a lot of trumpet on my records. Um, but yeah, Take Five was just something that like, we've been doing it forever and it's like, you know, people ask, hey, you know, which 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 album is this, is Take Five on? And it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's just something we just play around <laughs> with. And finally it was just like, hey, maybe I Let's should record, record that. Because, you know, I feel like we did have our own take on it. And, it is. The, obviously, there's been several versions done since and why wouldn't you record it? Um, but I, you know, I, it's funny, even though it, it's obviously a jazz standard, I can't recall like a, you know, with a big band and flair the way you put it um so i you know that just i know that always stood out for me night of the mojito was also on that record and that did very well if i recall mm -hmm. um on billboard on on the smooth jazz charts um is that something you know and even spinning it forward to today um and obviously i know it's you know we could talk about how you know releasing an album like what is that um but is that seeing 
your material charts or get the airplay spins. Obviously, there's the financial aspect of that too and royalties and all that, but just gratifying you know, as somebody who lives it, who breathes it, to see your music get played by the stations. And obviously, you know, that's also a different subject, what stations are. But just seeing the chart, you know, move up the charts, like that whole process for you, how gratifying is that? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can't argue with, with how exciting it is to see your your name listed some next to some of the, the names of the artists that you grew up listening to. Uh, I mean, some artists, you talk to them and it's like, well, you know, people ask them, hey, what do you do when you hear your song on the radio? And they're like, oh, you know, I hear it so often. It's I just, like, you know, yeah, I, I just call that Tuesday. Yeah, you know? and, <laughs> but for me, you know, when I hear it, I turn it up, yes. I tell everyone, hey, listen to this, it's me. <laughs> you should, you should, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's Every time I hear it, I, I am internally grateful for it that, that you know, because I, I, as an artist, if it's not genuine, if you're trying to pander to something that you think people want to hear, then it's it's just, it's insincere. And I, I really have tried with every record and everything I produce at this point that I want to make sure I'm doing something that feels uh, I'm proud of as an artist. Absolutely. Um, because this stuff is, is forever, you know, it especially is. records don't now. go out of print yep. anymore. You yep. know, I mean, talking about maybe the, the positive side of that, you know, it's not like, oh, that great record. I, yeah, it's out of print. Can't you can't get it copy. anymore. Now no. the stuff is, is it's, it's forever <laughs> floating around on the internet somewhere. So if there's something you recorded that you don't like, it's still there. Somebody's probably going to have it downloaded or Apple Music yep. or Amazon, you know, all the sources. So, so I made a point, you know, I, I really try to be protective of the things that, I mean, you can't control live shows. Live shows are, you know, live sports and all. You put them out there. But anything that I pr I've, I've released that I've, you know, produced and professionally released, uh, I, I'm proud of that stuff because at the time, I was very con conscious of the fact that this is going to be out there and it's going to be forever. So... I gotta love it now because ten years from now it's still gonna you be floating around that's, out there. It's still gonna be the same exact form. That's I think that's a great way to look at it, and I think I think it does come through in your music. Uh, we're talking with Andrew New, saxophonist. Um, you've teased it a couple times, so I I want to um, I'll present a quote from. Uh, the aforementioned Brian Bromberg um, about your catwalk project that you released in 2018, the big band side, the arranger side of you. Uh, Brian said, there's, there's a million smooth jazz sax players. None of them can do this as far as what went into the arranging of that effort. I was recorded at the, uh, the famous East West studios in LA um, rehearsed with, you know, co-led by Trumper, Tony Boncera, um, some of the standards, Body and Soul, Cinema Paradiso. Talk about that project. Wow, yeah. it, it's a, it was a big project, uh, and but it was the the right project at the right time. And again, maybe I just started looking at what I was really passionate about at the time and playing in big bands. That was my introduction to playing playing jazz myself. I'd certainly been listening to it when I was younger, but playing in a in a jazz band, a big band, a stage band, whatever you want to call it, that was my, you know, from the foundation of playing jazz. That's where I started. And I always loved just under, trying to understand the construction of how that music went together. I love looking at the music, the scores, looking at all the parts. And I realized that there's something that, that I had a genuine passion for. And I've been sitting in big bands long enough that I had a sense of, of you know, 
what's going to sound right? And I'd also been able to experiment. I was very fortunate to play in a lot of bands that played a lot of my early arrangements that may or may, may, or may not have been so good. So, but um, it's a constant learning process. And to be able to, I had a, a rehearsal band in Los Angeles and we rehearsed for about five years. And these uh -huh. were like pretty much the top LA studio musicians. Uh, we would rehearse at the union right there in Hollywood. And finally it was like, all right, we've got the material, we've got the band. This wasn't just a bunch of guys that came in and pulled up the chart and read it and probably read it really well the first time but these were ban a band that had been rehearsing it was a, a band it wasn't just a bunch of guys i called and showed up that day so we went into east west studios if you're not familiar with that that's frank sinatra recorded there i mean that was right down the street from wow. Capitol records which wow. of course we all know is sort of a big home for him absolutely uh there's a great video of him uh, recording it was a very good year in the exact same room where i recorded my record you can see the same tile pattern on the floor the same podium was still there um the beach boys recorded pet sounds there they recorded thriller there they recorded the theme to the love boat and um mash i think was recorded there i mean it's there's an incredible history in that lineup um so we were really really lucky to, to go into that room and and have that really that that kind of classic hollywood la sound and combine with amazing musicians that were invested in the project you know they've been playing the music and i was also able to integrate uh, some of the smooth jazz artists like Rick Braun and Eric Marienthal, as well as Randy Brecker and Bob Mincer. Um, Gordon Goodwin, who is an astounding, renowned big band composer and leader in his own right, guest and played it on my record so i i'd like to think of that as some sort of a you know milestone yeah it doesn't as far as a a musical achievement that has to be is that is that what you're most proud of would you say that, that? um that album as a whole yeah i am incredibly proud of that record yeah uh and just because i think sonically it sounds great i have great music i had a great team involved i mean I, that I, makes it happen i'm That's, certainly proud yeah. of the work that i can yeah. i did on it yeah. but it wouldn't have happened without brian bromberg who helped me out as a producer he he only played on a couple of tracks but he was my ears in the booth when we were recording this because i was playing with the band when we recorded this a lot of times guys do records and they conduct but i wanted to play so i played with mu uh, incredible musicians with some great soloists um in a great studio with a, a great engineer tom mccauley a great producer brian bromberg um and it just i wanted to do it right and I wanted this to be a timeless record, a record that I could go back to 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now, and it'll sound like as contemporary as, as any record recorded Which I at think that time. That's a, you know, that is, I think that's on the mark, and I think that is like the, the music that, you know, we continue to remember from like the 50s, 60s, 70s that has that sound. Um, it's a, like you could go back, you know, you'll still be able to go back, you know, 20 years from now and, and remember it, and I think that's, I, you know, I think that hits that mark with Catwalk. So um, that's, you know, what an opportunity. Um, so if we spin it to now, um, you know, in smooth jazz, um, I would say predominantly, you know, there's a few edge cases, um, but a lot of artists are just releasing singles and that includes uh, the uh, Right, the uh, single that we're playing from you right now here on V891 The Roar, Take It Home, uh, which sounds amazing, uh, produced by uh, Greg Manning. So talk about, you know, coming to, was there a, a moment where you decided I've got to look at singles um, as a way to go, as a way to just get a piece of music out? Talk about maybe the, the, the scene as far as releasing music now, and if you do still 
plan to put out albums or you know if that kind of whole situation has changed i think it's really freeing um i mean there's there's something really in intimidating about the idea of like oh we're gonna make another record you know we gotta come up with 10 10 compositions uh, i mean just writing 10 tunes it's difficult that are that yeah. are good yep. you know that you want to put Not on a just record filler. that yep. you want to yep. release um and then of course the, certainly the financial aspect of it but there's the time of a producing a record is going to take a really long period of time especially if you want to do it right as i always want to and then it's it it, it ends up putting a lot of time between releases and i wanted to step back into the smooth jazz jazz genre just because i, I like the music i feel like i you know i have invested so much in it of my career yeah, roots now and, yeah and, and, i mean bobby you know caldwell sound, i dude. toured with him for for 12 years and i mean the sax players that came before me dave cos boney james richard elliott michael linkton they oh, all so. had the gig um so i know i had a great platform um with playing with bobby who was a great friend and a great mentor and, and he was i was so appreciative of everything that he he gave me and the opportunity to travel around the world and play with him and he was great for featuring and celebrating as saxophone players um that i really wanted to get back into the genre um greg manning is someone i've known for probably 10 years and we would cross paths just again we musicians we know each other um we see each other on on jazz festivals and as we travel around and we always hit it off whenever whenever we played together and he's really becoming certainly well known as an as a as a producer and an artist in his own right and i knew we had good chemistry so i said you know what Let, let's do this and i was in vegas um back in the spring and he's now living there and i was performing with uh, Smokey robinson for a few days and uh decided to spend in a few extra days and we hung out and we uh we came up with this tune how about that that's you know what happens in vegas this time did not stay in <laughs> yeah, vegas yeah, we're sharing with the world say. um that's awesome yeah. that's and there it is and so i i could see that where you know the benefit you know if you ha if you had recorded this great song then you've got to come up with you know nine ten eleven others um and we might be talking 2023 2024 yeah. now it's out now you get it out there the music services they don't really care that they're you know it, it, it your product is there it's you know they might be downloading just the single to begin with so um it has its advantages that way it's a great track it's just a you know i feel like it's a feel good um song which you know that that we need more of that so um y you had to be pretty happy with the outcome yeah absolutely and that's what i think i the elements that i love about smooth jazz and this genre is it's it is a very positive uh a style of music in terms of i guess the lifestyle if you want to put it that way i mean the music and and, and the people who like this music and listen to it and the the venues that you hear the music they're into it they yeah. are yeah it's, and it's they're nice people yep um yep. You know, and and the other genres are either a little more serious, or they're stiff, or they're dark, <laughs> <laughs> um, or it's just a total, you know, party, you know, mosh pit or whatever. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm a saxophone player, so there's certain places that I think I, I I feel like I'm contributing something in a positive way, and and I I, I love straight ahead jazz. Um, you know, we talked about Minas. I play with Minas, which is an amazing Brazilian jazz group right based here out of Villanova, uh, and we played here at Villanova last month and I, I love playing that because I love the elements that it's because it's jazz uh, harmonically but it also has I guess 
straight eights as opposed to just swing that I can kind of bring in some of the elements of my jazz background with also maybe a little bit more of the contemporary side too. Versatile, that's, and I love that bossa nova sound. No, that is, you know, so that's, and and to, to keep that alive, I think is important. Um, Andrew, there's so many other directions I'd, I'd love to go in. Um, I guess I'll just close with, so we mentioned it, uh, your older brother conducts the jazz ensemble here at Villanova. Um, so first of all, that's just a phenomenal thing. We were able to actually broadcast the uh, VU Jazz Band's fall concert here at WXVU um, at the end of October. Um, so an awesome connection for us. But uh, talk about, you know, sort of maybe your relationship with him and then also giving back as far as educating young people um, sort of keeping the genre alive. Um, I think it's very important to get young people just interested in instrumental music. Um, you know, a lot of the music that's, that's, you know, popular is up tempo. Um, and you know, there's not as many homes as far as just consumers are concerned for lower paced instrumental music. So how rewarding has it been your work at Swarthmore? And then also maybe what your brother is doing here at Villanova. Um, well, I just I, I said before I'm a product of a public school music education program, so I, I think this my my connection with um, people playing big band jazz is often students, people in their teens and twenties. And um, my brother is a professional trumpet player, and we've been playing gigs together now for you know since we were well since I was a kid, I guess. That's awesome. Um, Again, he kind of paved the way for me, and so there. I think the people here at Villanova are really lucky to have someone with that kind of uh, professional level experience, but is also an, an amazing educator because he's been teaching jazz and music for you know his entire career. So um, I think it's. I, I see this genre, uh, genre. I see. I see instrumental music as being really. A, I see it from a very young and. Uh, fresh perspective because I see a lot of amazing young teenage and early 20-somethings that are playing this music with passion and an incredible skill level. So to me, I mean, I think maybe some people look at big band jazz as they, in their mind, they think Benny Goodman or Duke Ellington or things that maybe happened 80 or more years ago. Um, when to me, I think it's, it's fresh and alive and super exciting uh, when it's done right and when you have people that are doing it for the right reasons totally agree totally agree and that's you know to 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 and and i could tell you just the the show i witnessed peter conduct um you know a couple of weekends ago um i was blown away you know i didn't know what to i, I had never seen the vu jazz band perform um some of the standards including some of the ones uh, you know that we just talked about from the catwalk album were actually on his set list um it was it was great and that all starts obviously the students there's you know we have we have we've talented students here at villanova um but I give a lot of credit to what Peter is instilling. So um, it's just, it's wonderful to see that. I'm totally with you. I think it's important um, that there's always a home for that. And it starts with, with you know, public school education. I've heard so many artists, even Kenny G, um, talking about in his shows, like, you know, in the Seattle area. Um, so it, it's, it's foundational. So um, Andrew, if any of our listeners wanted to find out more information about you, 
what are the best ways to to find out about Andrew New? Uh, well, you can definitely come and say hello on my website. There's a place you can message me there. I'm, I'm on Facebook. Uh, just look for Andrew New, N-E-U, music. Uh, I'm on Facebook there. And my website is andrewnew.com. And remember, it's N-E-U. <laughs> N-E-U, that's right. Uh, we could do this all day. You know, we're, we're going to have to have you back is, is what it comes down to. There, there's other smooth jazz topics I, I'd love to dive into, but... It was a pleasure, Andrew. Um, keep on keeping on. Um, I love the music. I love the the Philadelphia ties. It's just evident. Um, and I just love your, your general attitude on, on life. So um, it was a pleasure having you today. And I'm thrilled to be here. Nick, anytime. Let's do it again. Andrew New here on Villanova's V89 Won the Roar. Thank you so much.